So we hear from uh, the Murrays, and we can't help but uh, know that their story is is so much like many of our stories, where uh, there's different things going on in our lives, and and through all of that, we we understand a little bit better God's faithfulness to us as life happens in all of our lives, and so uh, we continue to pray for you guys as you process through this time. And we do know this, that, that God uses situations like this in ways that, that we can't quite figure out, but he does use them, and he does walk us through them. So that's a very serious thing. Second thing is this. I want you to know at the end of this service, it'll be Rob's last Sunday with us as I uh, decide that his uh, talking about my lack of ability at times to speak appropriately, he just sort of took it a little too far, I think. I'm hurt, and now I'm just joking. But, uh, but anyway, we will. It, was, it, was, it caught me off guard. I did not expect that at all. So let's talk about some fun fruit facts real quickly. The first is this, is that there are over 700 varieties of peaches. 700 varieties. Now, I have yet to find a single variety of peach that I enjoy, so it might be out there. But there's 700 varieties of them. Peaches are known to reduce anxiety and are often referred to as the fruit of calmness. The fruit of calmness. Perhaps that's what happened to the monster truck guy that was going over those speed bumps so calmly he had eaten a peach. I don't know. And then this one is fascinating. The largest peach cobbler is made every year in Georgia, which makes sense. It's the peach state. It measures 11 feet by 5 feet. That's awesome. Even though I don't like peach cobbler, that's an impressive thing. I wonder if they use the same spoon as they go through it. That's a little disgusting, but, you know, it could happen. But that's, a whole, that's 55 square feet of peach cobbler. A few calories involved there. So as we look at this, and and not simply peach cobbler, but but to be to when we're talking about God's fruit in our life and the way it works, there are so many different varieties of the way that He shows His fruit in our lives. Paul gives us this list in Galatians chapter five of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. We've talked about a whole lot of them, and next week I'm giving you, I'm giving you a, 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 a warning now or an advance notice. Next week we are going to say all of them together as we gather for worship over in the gym. And so keep that in mind, so, so look at that very thing. And as we come this morning to talking about the next to last attribute of the fruit of the Spirit, faithfulness. I want you to know this, that there is no fine print when it comes to God's faithfulness. There aren't little caveats, there aren't little loopholes that God exercises to say, I'm still being faithful even though I'm doing this. There are no, there's no fine print there. And as we take a look at history and history that is in print, we come to see this, that faithfulness is incredibly rare in today's world. A lifetime warranty is valid for 10 years. That doesn't seem to make much sense to me, but that's the way they operate. 10 years. A contract that is signed by both parties is only good until one of the parties decides that they'd like to renegotiate that contract. 
In today's world, the truth is that we struggle with submitting to faithfulness. We struggle submitting to it, to what we agreed to do. Faithfulness is oftentimes viewed as a long word that has a short shelf life. That's the way we look at it. And so we want to then think that, that faithfulness, well, that's, that's in today's world, but in the Bible, I'm sure it's filled with nothing but faithfulness. And, and, and yes, faithfulness is rare in today's Bible, in today's world, and unfortunately, it's also rare in the Bible. We don't realize that very well. But faithfulness is, is rare in the Bible. As you read throughout the New Testament, especially Paul's letters, you come, to, you come to see this, that Paul is imploring the people to remain faithful. Read through First and Second Timothy, and you can almost hear Paul screaming at Timothy saying, Be faithful. Everyone around you is giving up. They're pursuing after these false teachings. They're doing this. They're doing that. But please, be faithful. Please hang in there with Jesus Christ. And here's the thing about faithfulness. It's not simply a New Testament issue. It's an Old Testament issue as well. When the kingdom of Israel was divided after King Solomon passed on, when the kingdom broke into Israel and Judah, they were given different kings. Different kings came into power in Israel and in Judah. And here's what's sad. All kings of Israel, all 19 of them, were unfaithful. Not a one of them was faithful. 250 years of unfaithful of unfaithfulness to God shown by the kings. 250 years. That's a long time. Well, John, Judah had to be a whole lot better than that, weren't they? Marginally, yes. 12 out of the 20 kings of Judah are unfaithful to God. More than half of them. When we come to this word of faithfulness, when we see what God's word says, and and, and then we see what, what happens, the prophets over and over again, the Old Testament prophets, you read through them, and there's one theme that they keep coming back to over and over again, that they're addressing again and again and again, and it's this, is that they're upset, God's, God's concerned, he's, 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 he's upset about this, is that the people continue to be unfaithful. Unfaithfulness is all throughout the prophets as they're crying out to the people saying, turn back to God, be faithful to God. You see, faithfulness is something that is incredibly difficult for us to grasp. And the reason why is because we don't see many examples of it. We especially don't see any examples of it in today's world. We look at God's word, and and yes, we have these places where we see faithful things happen. People do amazing things, and we're going to take a look at one of those people today. But in the midst of the unfaithfulness that we see in the world today, in the midst of the unfaithfulness that we see from God's people throughout God's word, here's the reason why Paul points to faithfulness. It's because in the midst of all that mess, in the midst of all that chaos, in the midst of all that unfaithfulness, Paul says, in essence... Faithfulness needs to be a part of the fruit of the Spirit, and it is part of the fruit of the Spirit, because we have a faithful God. 
That even though we're unfaithful, God is faithful. It's part of His very being. And because it's part of His very being, if we are to be fruit-filled people, spirit-filled people, we get to move in such a way of faithfulness, doing something that is so so unusual in an unfaithful world that it shines like a beacon, like God's faithfulness to us when we are struggling to be faithful. I invite you in your Bibles to turn into uh, Hebrews chapter 11. If you don't have a Bible, but you have a smartphone, go to the Bible app and, and scroll there to Hebrews chapter 11. And we get to look at this fascinating individual by the name of Moses. And again, I'll plug the spiritual formation classes. We have a class going on right now looking at the eight highlights of Moses' life. It meets at 9 o'clock on Sunday mornings, and so if you're interested, uh, perhaps uh, that would be a great place for you to learn a little bit more about Moses. We pick it up in verse 23. By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith, he left Egypt not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. And by faith, he kept the Passover and the application of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. Father, we pray now as we come to this time of looking at your word, we pray that your Holy Spirit would open our eyes that we would see. Open our ears that we would hear, open our minds that we would understand, and open our hearts that we would be transformed to be a faithful people because of your incredible faithfulness to us. We pray that no one would hear anything that I say, but that they would only hear what it is that you want them to hear, and that in all of this, that you, Lord Jesus Christ, would be glorified, that you would be lifted up, that people would say, wow, Jesus is amazing. May you receive all glory. May you be lifted up. Holy Spirit, do your work in our lives now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So there's no fine print with God's faithfulness. History in print shows us all these different things about unfaithfulness. And now we come to a chapter in print that is arguably one of the most powerful chapters in all of Scripture. A chapter that is filled with nothing but encouragement. When I find myself going through discouraging times, when I find myself really wondering, is this worth it? Is continuing to follow Jesus Christ worth it? I oftentimes find myself going right back to Hebrews chapter 11. And I want to I plug Hebrews chapter 11 because it is rich. It is a, it is a deeply, profoundly impactful book, a chapter that talks about how God works in phenomenal ways in his people's lives. It's a list of of all these different people who were faithful, who exercised faith at at a variety of times. And Eugene Peterson gives us what I think is is a really great definition. And, And his definition of faithfulness is this, it is a long obedience in the same direction. 
Yes, all the, some of these people, most of these people in Hebrews chapter 11, you sit there and you see Samson on the list, you're going, how does he make that list? He seems to have a whole lot of issues. He did, more than just a few. But yet, somewhere in the midst of it, God's faithfulness shows up, and God's faithfulness keeps moving forward. Hebrews chapter 11 is a list of those who had a long obedience in the same direction. I'm going to ask you this question now, and I'll ask you it later. I ask you this question, what direction are you heading in right now? What direction are you moving forward, or are you moving in? Is it, what does that long obedience for you look like right now? Because that's what we're talking about here when we're talking about faithfulness. And yes, we have this chapter in print, and it exposes a life in print, and that life would be the one known as Moses. And we look at this, and and immediately there's this temptation to skip over verse 23 and say, well, let's just get to the good stuff about Moses. But if we skip verse 23, we miss something very important. In verse 23, we read these words, By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. Real quickly, just a real quick lighthearted comment. Moses' parents look at him as no ordinary child. Let me just say this real quickly. I have yet to meet any parents who look at their newborn and say, he's just ordinary. Nothing special about this guy or this girl. They're just ordinary. All parents look at their children as saying, you're extraordinary, you're phenomenal. On, the, on, on January 10th, 1997, when I caught Heidi, I was the first person to see her. I didn't drop her. I was the first person to see her. And I sat there, and as I was holding Heidi in my hands, I said, God, you are amazing. This is phenomenal. And unlike Stephanie, who I caught, and I immediately began walking, and I said, this is awesome also, but, and I began to walk Stephanie right to the warming table before the cord was cut, and the umbilical cord is, wrong. It's like, no! Anyway, we're back. Um, but I looked at both my daughters, and I said, these are extraordinary, extraordinary gifts. I'm so grateful for them. And so Moses' parents see, they look, at, they look at Moses and say, well, this is no ordinary child. But, but what fascinates me here is it's their faithfulness. It's their faith that as they're looking at this, because they risked everything. They risked everything. They risked their lives, not only their lives, but the life of their unborn child. And I don't know how they pulled this off. I don't know how they protected him for all these months. But in the midst of those months, they protected him, and they continued to be faithful. And I believe this, that perhaps as Moses was going down in his life, going through his life, and hit those, hit those elements, hit those places in life where he was tempted to say, I don't know if I can do this. The administration, the rulers seemed to be pretty intense. Perhaps he remembered back to the fact that his birth was because of his parents' faithfulness. Perhaps he was able to say, my parents had faith, therefore I'm going to have faith. Today is Grandparents' Day. I don't know if you knew that or not, but it's Grandparents' Day. As a grandparent, if you're a grandparent here, 
I can't think of any better gift to give your grandchildren than faithfulness. And if you're a parent here today, I can't think of any greater gift to give to your children than faithfulness. One of the prayers that I pray for Stephanie and Heidi is this. I pray that they will have a greater faith than I ever had. And I pray that they are protected from those moments in my life when I've been unfaithful. The faithfulness of Moses' parents is absolutely wonderful. And it speaks to him again and again, I believe, throughout the course of his life. And so now we come to Moses' life by faith, verse 24, by faith Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Moses displays faithfulness instead of a life of privilege. He grew up with the greatest education possible. He had connections like nobody else had connections. He had it all, and yet he says this, that I am called to be faithful to the one true God. Yes, I have the opportunity, the temptation to go down this life of privilege and get the things that I believe I want for Moses' kingdom, but he chooses not to do that. He chooses to not be a victim to privilege or be intimidated by those who had privilege. Peter Cartwright was a 19th century circuit-riding Methodist preacher who was not afraid to tell it like it is. On one particular Sunday before the service, he was told this, President Andrew Jackson is here this morning. Be careful what you say. So when Cartwright stood to preach, he said this, I understand that Andrew Jackson is here. I've been requested to be guarded in my remarks. Andrew Jackson will go to hell if he does not repent. (laughs) The congregation stood in shock wondering how President Andrew Jackson would respond to this. And after the service, President Jackson walks up to Peter Cartwright, extends his hand, and says this, Sir, if I had a regiment of men like you, I could conquer the world. Moses was tempted to look at his life of privilege and, and treat people in such a way that he could only pursue more and more privilege for him. But Moses knew that it was more important to be faithful to God rather than looking forward to being a, a, a life of privilege known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. And not only did he have that going in faithfulness and in, in, in keeping forward with not falling victim to a life of privilege and all that comes with it, but it connects to the next thing when we pick it up in verse 25. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pra- pleasures of sin. He chose faithfulness instead of pursuing the allure of sin. And with all this privilege, there was plenty of sin that could happen. He could have treated people poorly. He could have simply looked at people as objects rather than as people created in the image of God. And the thing about the allure of sin, the thing about temptation is this, is that it does not care who you are. It doesn't care how wealthy you are, how poor you are, how well-connected you are, how isolated you are. It does not care. It does not care if you're a man or a woman. It does not care if you're old or young. Temptation is there, and Moses faces it. 
And he says, I'm going to be faithful to God. 2018 goes down as a very dark year for many pastors of megachurches. This has been a difficult year as we see almost on a weekly basis this pastor fell, that pastor fell, this pastor did this, this pastor did that. It's heartbreaking, especially as a pastor, to read these stories of these pastors of, of churches that are 20, 25,000 people. And I read these stories and I get heartbroken. And as I was looking at this message, I was working on this message this week, I began to take a look at not began, but I continually take a look at what's going on in my heart about my faithfulness and in light of what's happened around us. And I reach this conclusion that I have to be accountable. If I'm going to continue to be a faithful pastor, I need to be accountable to you. I need to be accountable to the staff. I need to be accountable to the elders. And most importantly, I need to be accountable to God himself. And so, the allure of sin is there. And yet, in the midst of that, we continue to realize that placing our faith and trust in Jesus Christ and all that he offers us is far, far greater. And then we read these words, he regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of heaven. Um, treasures of Egypt, I'm sorry, because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who was invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and the application of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. He knew this, faithfulness was far greater instead of quitting. And in a few moments, we're going to take a look at some reasons, some external reasons that that Moses could have simply said, I'm going to quit. Enough is enough. But Moses doesn't quit. Faithfulness is a long obedience in the same direction. It might not at times look very, very flashy. It might not look all the times with all these people giving you all types of applause saying, yeah, you've been faithful. But it is far better than quitting. It is far better than quitting. And we get to see these events that I'm talking about, and and I call it praise in print. And I invite you to turning your Bibles to Numbers chapter 12. And as you get there, and if if you don't have a Bible again, scroll, scroll there on your smartphone, get there. But as you get there, the writer of Hebrews puts Moses on this long list of people who have a long obedience in the same direction. And as you see what's going on in Moses' life, there seems to be this theme that he would say, faithfulness isn't always easy, but it is always worth it. So in a few moments, I will address the issue of, of, uh, of Numbers chapter 12. But Moses not only had these internal issues that he struggled with, but he also had some external struggles that would cause him to perhaps not be faithful. And the first is found, excuse me, the first is found in Numbers chapter 11. You don't need to go there. I'm going to go there. Listen to what happens here. The rabble with them began, the, the rabble with them began to crave other food. And again, the Israelites started wailing and said, if only we had meat to eat. 
We remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost, also the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, onions, and garlic, but now we have lost our appetite. We never see anything but this manna. The first external problem that Moses is confronted with is, what's for dinner? It's these people, the Israelites have been rescued. They've been taken out of, of slavery. They're now free to, to do what they need to do. And yet, in a matter of months, they say, we're sort of burned out on this manna thing. And we'd rather go back to Egypt and eat what we had back there. And then listen to what happens in verses 10 to 15. It says this, Moses heard the people of every family wailing at the entrance to their tents. Yahweh became extremely angry, and Moses was troubled. He asked Yahweh, why have you brought this trouble on your servant? What have I done to displease you that you put the burden of all these people on me? Did I conceive these people? Did I give them birth? Why do you tell me to carry them in my arms as a nurse carries an infant to the land you promised on oath to their ancestors? Where can I get meat for all these people? They keep wailing to me, give us meat to eat. I cannot carry all these people by myself. The burden is too heavy for me. If this is how you're going to treat me, please go ahead and kill me. If I have found favor in your eyes, though, do not let me face my ruin. The temptation to walk away from God, the temptation to allow these external pressures of, of, a, of a very big issue. And when you have a massive group of hungry people, it can get pretty ugly pretty quickly. So there's an external problem that he has here. That's just number one. Then, as if that's not enough, he has another problem, and it starts with his family. He has a family problem. In Numbers chapter 12, we read this. Miriam and Aaron began to talk against Moses because of his Cushite wife, for he had married a Cushite. Has Yahweh spoken only through Moses, they asked? Hasn't he also spoken through us? And Yahweh heard this. So now he has this what's for dinner problem. Now he has a family problem. He has Miriam and, and, and Aaron saying, we, we, we don't need to go down this path that he's telling us to go down to. It amazes me that perhaps one of the most significantly powerful places where unfaithfulness happens is when families decide to turn on one another. And all of a sudden, we're knocked for a loop. So he has this issue there. And if that's not enough, he then has a discouragement issue. We pick it up in Numbers chapter 13. Listen to what happens here. When Moses sent them away, he sends this group of people away to look at the promised land. And they go there and they see all these different things, and it's an amazing thing. And this is their response in verse 26. They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them and to the assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. They see all this wonderful thing. God, Moses has told the people, God is with us. He's going to take care of us. We're moving forward. We're going to go into the promised land. They come back. They see the fruit. They see, they see everything that's there. They said, yes, this land is flowing with, with, with milk and honey, but 
The people who live there are powerful. The cities are fortified and large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. The the Amalekites live in the Negev. The Hittites, the Jebusites, and Amorites live in the Cahill country. And the Canaanites live near the sea along the Jordan. They have it all. Moses is saying, let's move forward. And this group of people says, I want to discourage you from moving forward on that. This is a tough one. And it's tough because of this. Do we realize the power of our discouraging words to people who are trying to take steps forward for the Lord? Do we realize how many ideas that have been inspired by God have been met with people saying, discouraging words rather than saying, let's see how we can make that happen. Do we realize that our discouraging words do far more damage to the kingdom of God than just about anything else? How many times do you feel God prompting you to move forward and you share it with someone and that person looks at you and says, yeah, 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 probably. I don't think you're going to be able to pull this off. And you end up stopping and not moving forward. Discouragement, ladies and gentlemen, is incredibly powerful. And some of you are here this morning and you have been so discouraged from taking steps forward for Christ that you're not even moving anymore. You're not taking those steps because nobody's there to say, keep moving forward, keep moving forward. There have been times in all of our lives where we've shared ideas about what God is doing in our lives and it's been met with discouraging resistance. The amazing thing is this, God still works, God still gets it done. And as if that's not a big enough problem, a dinner issue, a family issue, a discouragement issue, he now has a rebellion and death threat issue. Listen to these words. That night, all the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole assembly said to them, If only we had died in Egypt or in this wilderness. Why is Yahweh bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, We should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. They rebel. And then they threaten And look at verse 10 of Numbers 14. But the whole assembly talked about stoning Moses and Aaron to death. He's got problems. Big problems. And then the last one is this. It's the opening verses of Numbers chapter 16. Where all of a sudden the people say, we've had enough and we're electing our own leaders. He has a mutiny problem. You read from Numbers 11 all the way through Numbers 16, and you sit there and you see Moses is getting attacked and attacked and attacked and attacked. And through all of it, 
through all of it, Moses says, God, you got to keep me going. We read earlier, Moses says, take me out of this. Get me out of here because this is ridiculous. But he kept going. He kept moving forward. He kept along obedience in the same direction. And now, those of you that are in Numbers chapter 12, we get to read this passage. So Miriam and, and, and Aaron have complained about Moses, and then God shows up and speaks to them. And in verse 6, we pick it up. Listen to my words. He's talking to Miriam and Aaron. When there's a prophet among you, I, Yahweh, reveal myself to them in visions, I speak to them in dreams. But this is not true of my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. And listen carefully to this. With him, I speak face to face. Clearly and not in riddles. He sees the form of Yahweh. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? These are God's words. This isn't Moses saying to Miriam and Aaron saying, Hey, listen, God speaks to me face to face. These are God's words saying, I speak to him face to face. And here's why I speak to him face to face. Look at the end of verse 7. He is faithful in all my house. The whole reason why God speaks face to face to Moses isn't because Moses is this phenomenal leader, which he is. It isn't because Moses can do this or do that. It's because, according to what God's word says, it's because Moses is faithful to God. He's speaking to him face to face. We read throughout Scripture that anyone looks at the face of God, they will die. Here we're told God speaks face to face with Moses. Folks, when we are faithful, incredible things happen. God does amazing things. When we're faithful to Him, when we have a long obedience in the same direction of God's direction, things happen. God meets us. God does amazing work. Two women, a little over 144 years ago, got together and believed that the Lord was calling them to do something different in Salinas. So they started a small class on Sunday mornings that taught the Bible to people. They lived out a long obedience in the same direction. A few years later, that church decided to bring in a pastor and their ministry continued growing and it continued growing because they had a long obedience in the same direction, even though things were not always easy at that time. A number of years after that, the church had continued growing as, and as they continued growing, they realized that they had an opportunity to expand the Lord's ministry into East Salinas and they planted a church that is still there to this day. It's recently gone through a name change, and it is known as Salinas River Community Church. And tomorrow afternoon, at 11:30, or tomorrow morning, I get to have lunch again with, with this pastor named Rahelio, who's become a dear friend of mine. He's pastoring that church, and we're going to eat at one of my favorite Mexican restaurants in, in, in East Salinas called El Zacatecano. It is a phenomenal restaurant. I'll probably be the only gringo there, but that's all right. 
But it happens that church was planted all because of a long obedience in the same direction. In the 144 years since those two women took their step of faith, there have been many great seasons and some not so great seasons. And where did they start it? It started at FBC Salinas 144 years ago. God's faithfulness has carried us forward. God's faithfulness has brought us to this incredible juncture where we have an opportunity continued to continue stepping forward in faith, seeing God do great things. Why? Not because of anything that we're doing, but because of what God has been doing as people have shown a long obedience or, or a long obedience in the same direction. There have been times over the course of the 144 years when discouragement was in abundance because things look bleak. There have been times when we've struggled. There have been times when people have said, I don't know if we can keep going in this church anymore. But yet a group of people, the remnant, if you want to call it that, continued listening to a voice, a voice that said, keep going. I'm not done with First Baptist Church of Salinas. I'm going to keep moving. And we're at another juncture where people have said, I don't know if we should do this. I don't know what we should do. And yet God continues to prompt us. God continues to move us forward, not because of anything that we're doing that's perfect, but because we desire to do a long obedience in the same direction. We desire to be faithful to God. That vision that started 144 years ago with these two women is now moving forward again and again and again. And as we take these next steps, we get to see God's faithfulness once again. The reason why is because our life is in print as well. I invite you to turn back to Hebrews chapter 11 and look at verses 39 and 40. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received would have been promised since God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. Do you see what the writer says here? He says that all of these champions of the faith, all of these champions of faithfulness did not receive what they promised and why did they not receive it? He answers it this way. He says, since God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made complete We are part of Hebrews 11. Our lives match up. Our our lives are intertwined with those incredible saints of of the past. Those incredible people who said we're going to do a long obedience in the same direction. We line up with that and God says, you're in this hall of faith. So I asked you earlier, what direction are you heading in as you look at your life? And one of the things I love about Hebrews chapter 11 is what he says here. Since God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us. We are in this together. A long obedience in the same direction. And this morning we are again invited to join his team of faithful ones. Based on the faithful one, Jesus Christ. Not based on our fickleness but based on his faithfulness. He's brought us to this point, ladies and gentlemen, and he will not let us down. Great is his faithfulness. All the time. Every single time. And I invite you to continue walking in faith with this incredible one, Jesus Christ.
And may we encourage each other to do that very thing. Father, we pray now that you'll meet us where we are. And Lord, we confess that there have been external forces that have discouraged us, have frustrated us, have done this or done that, and we've said oftentimes, I'm done. And there are internal forces within us where we've given up and we've decided that it's not, it's too difficult for us. Or we've submitted to temptation that we ought not do. Have mercy on us. And in all of this, Lord, we pray that we would be a faithful people, a grateful people for the incredible faithfulness of Jesus Christ. The one who carried us and carries us and will carry us forevermore. Lord, stir within each one of us a long obedience in the same direction of following you. And may we be a beacon of faithfulness, of your faithfulness in an unfaithful world. Guide us and lead us. And may we be mindful that you are faithful to us and you never let us down. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I invite you to stand. We're going to sing a couple more songs. And, and um, as we sing these songs, I want you to pay particular attention to the call that is out there to be faithful, to respond to his faithfulness to us.